Praise the Lord. Let's turn over to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. And this week I've been ministering kind of along the lines of my new book entitled uh, A Two-Edged Sword, Sharper Than a Two-Edged Sword. And that's just a compilation of 16 of my books. Each chapter is a summary of one book. It doesn't go into the detail, but man, it's powerful. And we've had a really good response to that during this first meeting. And in a similar way, I haven't gone into detail on a lot this week, but I've just been hitting some of the major things that God has shown me. I talked specifically about who God is. And I countered this wrong impression that people have been given that God controls all of the evil in this world. And he puts things on you to hurt you and that God is sovereign and nothing happens without him either causing it or allowing it. That is not what the word of God teaches. And so I dealt with that. I talked about how that God expressed a harshness and a wrath under the old covenant that some people think is really descriptive of God. But the scripture doesn't say that God is angry. It says he is a jealous God, but it's actually using that in a, in a right way. It says that his nature is love. God is love. First John four, eight. And some people look at the things that God has done and think, how could this be love? But if you understand things properly, even the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah was an act of love. And some people think, I don't see that at all. But the human race was becoming so defiled. You know, I've read some archaeological things that I wouldn't even tell you in a mixed crowd, some of the stuff that I've read that they've discovered the... um, statues and the things that they've found in that area, bestiality, sodomy was the rule of the day. And it was so bad. It was like a cancer in the human race. And if God hadn't have judged Sodom and Gomorrah and destroyed those people, there wouldn't have been a virgin left for Jesus to have been born through. It would have literally corrupted the entire human race. So yes, it was severe on those people, but it was actually an act of mercy on the human race. It's like when we amputate an arm or a leg because it's infected or you've got a cancer in some part of your body and they cut it out. It may be terrible on that part of your body, but as a whole, it's, it's necessary because there wasn't a cure. In the Old Testament, a lot of things can be explained. Some of you may wonder why God commanded them to go in and kill the men, the women, the children, and the animals. Why did God do that? Man, is this the God of mercy that we serve? But it's because people couldn't be born again. Once you got demon-possessed, the only way to get rid of those demons were to kill the person. You couldn't be delivered of a demon in the Old Testament. And this is the reason he had them even kill the animals because bestiality was the rule of the day. They were having sex with animals. And, and the animals were demon-possessed. Their children were demon-possessed. They were dedicated to the devil. And so God would just wipe out entire groups of people because that was the only way to purge the earth from this corruption. In the Old Testament, if a child became rebellious and fought against their parents... The first time you were to bring him to the elders of the city and they were to chastise him. And if he did it a second time, if he smarted off to his parents, you were to kill him. Man, if we were following those rules today, there'd be not very many young people around. (laughs) And people look at this and think, man, God's mean and angry. Again, it was because 
It says in 1 Samuel chapter 15, I believe it's verse 22, somewhere right there. It says, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Today we've become soft and we look at rebellion and think, oh, this is a phase that they're going through. No, it's demonic. But the reason we don't kill our kids today is because you can be born again. You can be changed. Jesus made a difference in everything. The Lord didn't hate people under the Old Testament. He didn't hate the women and children, but he hated evil and corruption. And once people were given over to demons, there had to be a harsh judgment on it because they couldn't be born again and forgiven the way that we are. And so anyway, if you understand this, then you can see how that God is love. And it was actually love on the human race to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and get rid of that wickedness. It was actually love to wipe out an entire group of people that dwelt in the promised land. And he even told Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, he says, your children are going to come out, but it's going to be 400 years from now because the iniquity of the Amorites isn't full yet. He gave them 400 years to repent and they never did it. It's not like God was not merciful. God was merciful even in the old Testament, but there, but he also is just, he could see that there was no way, man, I could preach on this for a long time. But you know, today people have perverted having mercy and they will basically just allow people to go on forever and encourage wrong behavior. And they think that we shouldn't ever do anything. I guarantee you there is a place for you taking a stand against evil and sitting there and causing repercussions to people when they do something wrong. And we've got a lot of people today that won't do that. And that's one of the reasons that evil prevails. God isn't like that. He loves people, but once a person crosses a line, if it's going to hurt the human race as a whole, if you're going to become a Hitler, you're going to face the same end that Hitler faced. God will intervene. And so anyway, it may look harsh, but if you look at it correctly, especially in the light of the New Testament, man, God is a merciful God. And in the New Testament, God would never do some of the things that he did in the Old Testament. I could spend days on that. Real quickly. In the name of Jesus. Just go read this on your own. Read 2 Kings chapter 1. And Elijah called fire down out of heaven and killed 102 men. In Luke chapter 9 verse 52 and following, Jesus' disciples wanted to do the same thing. And they quoted Elijah and said, do you want us to call fire out of heaven as Elijah did and destroy these? And they were justified in what they wanted to do. Elijah wasn't justified. I hadn't got time to explain that, but you go read it and you'll find out that Jesus' disciples were more just in wanting to call fire down out of heaven. And Jesus turned around and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. The son of man did not come to destroy man's lives, but to save man's lives. And they just went on to the next city. That shows you that if Jesus would have been present in his physical body on this earth in second Kings chapter one, he would have rebuked Elijah for doing what he did. It was okay at the time, but it was not God's best. And things happened in the Old Testament because people weren't born again and they didn't have this ability and God had to deal harshly and purge this evil. But in the New Testament, God is not going to bring wrath on you. God is not punishing you. He's not rejecting you. He is not imputing your sins unto you. Boy, that is so important that you understand that. I've got a tape series or a book entitled The Nature of God, another one. 
entitled um, The War is Over that deal with these things. You really need to get that. It would help you. Then we talked about who you are in Christ, spirit, soul, and body. So we talked about who God is. Then we talked about who you are in Christ. And you are a new person in the spirit. I talked this morning about that all of your sins, past, present, and even sins that you haven't committed yet, were all forgiven. One sacrifice for sins forever. And you have been made perfect in your spirit. Man, if we could get a revelation of that, if you could get more than just my words, if the Holy Spirit could help you to understand what I'm saying, that would be enough to put a spring in your step for the rest of your days. Who cares what else is happening? You are as righteous and holy and pure as Jesus is in your spirit. You got his mind, his nature, his ability. You've already got love, joy, and peace and everything. And all of these things are in your spirit. And even if you never got them out into your body, even if you never experienced them, it ought to make you happy just to know that you got it. Amen. Man, that's powerful. I just can't tell you how much that's done for me. And so what I want to do tonight in Ephesians chapter one is just to amplify on this some more and talk about what you have in Christ. But look at this in Ephesians chapter one. And let me skip to verse three because I have spent an hour and a half on verses one and two before. And I'm not going to do that. And in verse three, it says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath, that means past tense, it's already been done, hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. This is saying you are already blessed. Most Christians are trying to get blessed. They're asking God to bless them. Christians are saying, oh, Lord, I know that faith is powerful. I know that Andrew believes you and things happen. And, oh, God, just give me more faith. That's not accurate. Jesus' disciples asked the same thing in the 17th chapter of the book of Luke. And he said, which of you having a servant, if he's been out working in the field, when he comes in, you sit down and you serve him and take care of his needs. No, instead you sit down and you tell this slave, you come serve me and finish your job and then go eat, take care of yourself. That looks like that's no answer. But if you study it, you know what he's saying? You aren't using what you got. You got faith. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse three, that we already have the measure of of faith. You have as much faith and the same quantity and quality of faith that Jesus has because it's not your faith. It's God's faith that was given unto you. In your born again spirit, you have the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, some people just, uh, that just overloads all their circuits. They just go blank because they can't see it. They can't feel it. They go look in the mirror and that, This can't be faith. I've never seen that faith. I've never used this faith. I operate in fear. I'm just constantly discouraged. And they talk about what they see and what they experience, but you can't feel your spirit. I'm telling you, the word of God says that in your spirit, you have the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ and not in a tiny measure that's growing. You have the full measure of faith. You have all of the faith that it takes to raise the dead in your spirit. But the problem is you got to get it through your brain before it gets out into your body. And most people, first of all, have never even thought that they have this. They observe what's going on in the natural and they judge who they are and what they have by what they feel in their body and what they see. 
but you cannot do that. You are a new person in Christ. This says you already have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. A scripture goes along with this is in first, uh, let's see, second Peter, I guess it is chapter one. And in verse one, it says, Simon Peter, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've already messed that up to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and of our savior, Jesus Christ. Notice it says we have obtained like precious faith with Peter. Peter's faith was so powerful that he walked along and his shadow touched people and they rose up. Peter said, you've got like precious faith. And if you look that word up in the uh, Greek, it means the identical same faith. You've got the same faith that Peter used and he walked along and his shadow would touch people and they were raised up off their deathbed. He raised Dorcas from the dead. You have that same faith on the inside of you. And if somebody said, I don't, I don't. Well, then just tear second Peter chapter one out of your Bible because it says it's written to people that have like precious faith. You do have the same faith. And it says that you got it through the righteousness of God and of our savior. You didn't earn it. It wasn't given to you because you had fasted and prayed. You already have that. It was a gift. You were born again. It says second, uh, the second chapter of Ephesians verse eight, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's talking about that faith is not of yourselves. You can't believe for salvation with human faith. You have to believe for things you can't see. You have to believe in things that are intangible. Human faith can't believe for anything. It can't see, taste, hear, smell, or feel. You had to have a supernatural faith imparted unto you. That's the reason that the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God's word contains his faith. And when you hear the word, his faith comes unto you. And you can't get born again with human faith. You have to use his faith. It's a gift. And when you got born again, you used God's faith to receive salvation and you have the supernatural God kind of faith on the inside of you. And Paul said his faith was the faith of the son of God. Romans 12, three says we have the measure of faith, not different measures. You know, if I was serving soup up here and if everybody came by and if I used a big old ladle for some people and other people, I used a teaspoon. Another person, I used a tablespoon. Another person, I used an eyedropper. Another person, I got a bucket and pour. You know, there would be different measures. But if I use the same measure for everybody and you come by, well, then you all are going to have the measure. That means you've all got the same amount. We all have received the measure of faith. That means you have the same faith that Paul had. And Paul said, I have the faith of the son of God, not faith in the son of God, but I've got the faith of the son of God. This is why Jesus said in John 14, 12, the works that I do, shall you do also and greater works than these shall you do because I go unto my father, because he gave us his faith in the spirit. You're identical to Jesus. You've got his faith. You're already blessed. Christians are asking God to give them more faith. You don't need more faith. You need a revelation of who you are. And like that verse I used this morning, Philemon chapter one, verse six, the communication of your faith becomes effectual. That means it begins to work by the acknowledging of every good thing that is in you in Christ Jesus. If you could understand what I'm saying and start saying, I've got the same faith that Jesus had when he raised 
Lazarus from the dead, when he walked on water, when he turned water into wine, when he called out Zacchaeus' name, when he did anything. I've got that faith. It's already here. I may not know how to use it, but I got it. You know, that would excite you even if you didn't know how to use it. And then you'd get to saying, I'm going to figure this out. But you know what? Most people don't believe they've got it. They're asking God to give them some. So they just ask and they passively sit by. And if they don't have a blinding flash of light or an epiphany, if something special doesn't happen, then they think, well, God, why haven't you answered my prayers? God's already given you everything. You don't need to just ask and wait. You got to pursue it. When you know that you've got the power of God, you don't know exactly how to make the connection and get it out, but you know you got it. You'll keep trying. But you'll quit and give up easily if you think, well, God, I'm just asking and I'm waiting on you. You aren't waiting on God. God has already blessed you with all spiritual blessings. Not most of them, all of them. And back in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, I read that, that you have like precious faith through the righteousness of God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Then in verse 2, it says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. How? Through the knowledge of him that has called you unto glory and virtue. People are saying, oh God, give me peace. I talked with a man this morning who says, I'm stressed out and I just need peace. And I told him, I said, I can't pray over that. Bible says in Isaiah 26, three, the Lord will keep him in perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed upon him. You're going to have to stay your mind upon God. You're going to have to start seeking God. It says grace and peace comes unto you through the knowledge of him. You've already got this, but you've got to renew your mind to get it out. And then in verse three, this is where I was actually headed. Second Peter one, three, it says, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. Everything you need, healing, joy, peace, finances, uh, blessing, anointing, direction, anything you need is given unto you through the knowledge of him, not through praying, not through getting the prayer chain to bind together and put pressure on God and don't let go until God has to answer your prayer. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. Some of you are acting like who would ever do that? All of us. All of us have felt at times that God wouldn't answer our prayer. So we got to get somebody else and we got to get so many people. We're just going to pressure him until he has to do it. Grab hold of the horns of the altar and shake it till God comes out. Amen. That's not the way it is. God's already provided you with everything. And all you got to do is get your mind renewed. You know, I've used this example before, but it's like if you could imagine a pipe up here over my head and in this side is the spirit of God and all of these things I'm talking about. And you are the same as Jesus. You've got his faith, his anointing, his uh, mind, his wisdom, everything that is true about him. Over here is your body that gets sick and has needs and things like this. And in the middle is your mind. And it's like a valve. It's like a faucet. You've got all of this life over here, but your mind can shut off the flow of the spirit of God through you so that not one drop of God's power comes out. Or you can open it and just every once in a while experience just enough of God to know that there's something there and keep you going. Or you can open it up and let the power of God flood through you. 
It would be similar to a person that's dying of thirst and you could be right there in front of your faucet and praying and asking, oh God, please give me water. And the water's just inches away, but you got that valve right there and you got to turn the valve and you could die of thirst with water inches away from you because you haven't ever turned the tap. Christians, instead of believing that the water is there and saying, I'm going to turn this tap and do what it takes to get it out. They're sitting there praying and asking God to give them water. And the whole time you got this huge supply of living water on the inside of you. And we aren't turning the tap. We're asking God to do it. God's not going to do it. It's like the electricity. They generate the electricity. They put it in this building. The electric company generates it. But when we need electricity on tonight, the electric company is not going to come out here and turn it on. They've put it here, but you flip the switch. You have to do it. And you could call them and say, look, we're going to have hundreds of people here tonight. And it could mean the difference between somebody being healed, somebody being saved, somebody being baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's imperative. We've got to have the electricity on, please. And you could beg, you could plead, you could send somebody over there and say, I'll provide you a ride over here. You can do anything you want to. They generate the power, but you have to turn it on. It's the same thing. God has already provided everything. You're already blessed with all spiritual blessings. Everything that you need is already in here. And God isn't the one who releases it. You are. The Bible didn't tell you to go pray for the sick. Some of you are going to be shocked at that. But you find that scripture and show it to me. It doesn't. Now it talks about people praying for the sick. It says, if you're sick, calls the elders of the church and let them anoint you with oil and pray over you and the prayer of faith will save the sick. It talks about, I'm not saying that you don't do it, but the command is in uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse eight, also Luke chapter nine. It says, go heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. There's a difference between praying and saying, oh God, we are nothing and we have nothing and we... We know that we don't deserve anything, but if you could, pretty please, oh, Father, would you just stretch forth your hand and touch this person? That's the way Christians pray. Man, what you need to do is say, Father, thank you. Just, you know, here's what, here's what Peter did in Acts chapter 3. He saw the man who was uh, uh, lame at the gate of the temple. And he looked at him and he said, silver and gold, have I none, but such as I have give I unto you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he didn't even wait on the guy's response. He reached out and grabbed him by the hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. He never prayed. He never asked God to heal this guy. And he said, such as I have. Some people think I would never say that I'm nothing. I can have what you're talking about your carnal self and in the natural. Yes, we are nothing, but we aren't only in the natural. One third of you is wall to wall. Holy ghost. One third of you is born again and you have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead on the inside of you. And this attitude where we only acknowledge our carnal part our physical and emotional part that does have mistakes and problems in it is the problem. We are thinking that that's us and oh God, we can do nothing. Would you heal them? He told you to heal the sick. You heal them. Somebody, I don't have that power. Yes, you do. You have the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. I'm working towards that in Ephesians chapter one. I'm going to read that to you if I can keep talking. 
And it says back in second Peter chapter one, verse four, after it says all things that pertain unto life and godliness are given unto us through the knowledge of him. In verse four, it says, um, whereby are given unto us exceeding and and exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. It says that this knowledge that produces all things in verse three gave us these exceeding great and precious promises. That's just an old English way of saying that the word of God is the knowledge of God. God's word is his knowledge written down for us. And through the word of God, through understanding what it says about you is how you get everything that's already in you on the outside. Man, that is powerful. You've already got everything. God has already placed everything on the inside of you. People are asking God to heal them. You don't need to ask God to heal you. God's already healed you. By his stripes you worry. What you need to do is find out what you've got and then how to use it. And that's another teaching I haven't got time to go into tonight, but there are laws that govern how God's power works. Just one of them I'll mention, I'm not going to teach on this, but just one is Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. God created the heavens and the earth by words. He said, let there be light. Let the earth bring forth. Everything he did, he spoke it. God releases faith by words. And since it's his faith that we're using, one of the laws that you've got to use to get this power out of you is your mouth. And so death and life, notice death and life, not only life, not only death, death and life. Your tongue can work for you or against us. Most of us are hung by the tongue. Most of us are sitting here saying what we have instead of having what we say. Most of us, if somebody says, how are you doing? Oh man, not too good under the circumstances. What are you doing under there? The Bible says you're supposed to be above only and not beneath the head and not the tail. Well, the doctor says I'm dying. Why speak what the doctor says? Why don't you say what the word says? Instead of speaking death, speak life. Say in the name of Jesus, I'm healed. You're going to have to start using your tongue like a weapon to release the power of God. And the sad thing is, I would be a hypocrite to say I'm healed when my body still hurts. Well, it just depends on who you think is the real you. If you think this physical body and what you feel is reality, well, then you're a hypocrite to say what the spirit says about you. But if you can find out that you are a new creature and in Christ, you are healed and you have all of these things, then you're a hypocrite to only speak what you feel instead of what is true about you in the spirit. It just depends which you think is the real you. And the sad fact is most of us think that this physical body and your emotions is the real you. And we don't even know who we are in Christ. And because of it, we speak our fears. We speak our hurts. We speak our pains. And every time you speak it, you increase it. You amplify it. You speak death over yourself. You're going to have to change that. But you do have all of the goodness of God in there. You've got to start releasing it, turning that valve. And one of the ways is through the words that you speak and different things. Boy, that is super powerful. You know, a friend of mine, he was in um, Kenya holding a meeting 
And he had a revelation of this, that God had anointed him. And it wasn't because he was a super duper, as Wendell says. It wasn't because he was thinking of this in himself. He believed that in his spirit, he was changed. He was no rancher, but he believed he was anointed. And he held a meeting and thousands and thousands of people came and people started being healed. Blind eyes were open, deaf ears were open. Miracles were happening. And the next day he was walking through the city streets in Kenya and the people recognized him from the night before and people started running from everywhere and yelling in a different language. He didn't know what it was and they wanted to touch him. And his first thought was to say, it's not me. It's not me. Don't, it's not me. It's all Jesus. You'll hear people do this a lot. And that was his first reaction. And before he could do it, the Lord spoke to him and said, Dave, he said, yes, sir. And he says, what would you have thought when I was riding into Jerusalem on that donkey and they began to start taking palm leaves and throwing them in the way. And then they threw their garments on the ground and they sang Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. What would you have thought if the donkey would have said, it's not me, it's not me. <laughs> he said, they aren't trying to get to you. They're after the Jesus that lives on the inside of you. And he says, let them touch you. All you are is the donkey. But you know what? You're full of Jesus. And that donkey walked on top of those palm leaves and on top of those garments just the same as Jesus did because of who he was carrying. It's not about you and your natural self, but in Christ, you are awesome. You are identical to Jesus. And most of us don't see that part of us. We're constantly analyzing ourselves based on our inadequacies and our failures and talking about it's not me and all these things. You need to get past that and recognize that yes, you by yourself are nothing, but you're never by yourself. You've got God Almighty living on the inside of you and you ought to expect something special. Amen. So I got all that out of Ephesians chapter one, verse three, you've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In verse four, according as he hath chosen us in, you know, I've got to skip these verses. If I'll never get over here, you ought to read these. These are awesome. This is just, this is wonderful. Look at verse seven, in whom we have redemption. Notice it says we have redemption. Not you can have redemption. No, we have it. This is what I talked about this morning. Eternal redemption through one offering forever. And it says right here in verse seven, in whom we have redemption through his blood, comma, the forgiveness of sins. This tells you what redemption is. You don't have to read Greek and Hebrew or even look it up in a dictionary. This defines redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You already have it. It's already yours. And then go down to verse 15 and Paul begins to start praying a prayer. Before I read this prayer to you, let me just ask you to imagine this. If you were going to write a prayer, if I was going to have everybody write a prayer and we were going to put this in a time capsule or something, and this was going to be for believers 2000 years in the future, and you were going to pray for the believers 2000 years in the future, how would you pray? Think about that. I can tell you based on the prayers that I hear today, 
it would all be something along these lines of, oh God, just move. Oh God, pour out your spirit. Oh God, send revival. Oh God, touch these people. Oh God, stretch forth your hand. It would all be something about God, do something and touch these people and move and make this happen. Paul's prayer is the exact opposite. He's not asking God to do anything except show them what they've got. Paul prayed a prayer for you and me and said, Lord, open up their eyes and help them to see what they already have. We have an entire Christian culture that don't, doesn't believe we have anything. They believe that you're just an old sinner saved by grace. The only difference between you and a lost man is that you're going to heaven and they're going to hell. That's not true. You on the inside are identical to Jesus, have his power, his nature. You've got his wisdom. You've got his faith. You've got his anointing. You've got everything. You are identical to Jesus in your spirit. There is a huge difference between a believer and a non-believer, but the problem is most believers don't believe it. We don't know it. You can't know something. You can't believe something that you're ignorant about. We haven't heard this. And most Christians don't know that we're brand new in the spirit. You know, I keep pointing to my belly because in John chapter seven, it says out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the spirit, which they that believed upon him would receive. So Jesus was talking about the spirit being here in your belly. Amen. Some of us look like we got more of the spirit than others, but it's not so. But right here in your belly is where your spirit is. And you are a brand new person in your spirit. And most of us don't know who we are in the spirit. You know, most of you could tell me what you look like. You could tell me the color of your hair. You could tell me features about you, whether you're tall, short, fat, skinny, whatever. You could tell me lots of things. If you were describing you on the phone, you could describe your physical body. But if I was to ask you who you are in the spirit, most people draw a blank. We don't know ourselves. We got an identity crisis. And because of it, we're asking God to do things that he's already done. We're asking God, oh, could you please let me? People come up all the time and say, would you just please pray with me that God would pour out his love in my life? And I say, no, I won't pray that. People think, well, what is wrong with that? Because the Bible says he's already commended his love towards us. He's already poured it out. You have in your spirit, love, joy, peace, all of these things. By you saying, oh God, would you please love me? You are saying that if you don't feel love, it's God that turned off the faucet instead of you. I've come to realize that God has never turned off the faucet. God hasn't ceased to do anything. God has never failed to heal a single person. God has placed resurrection, raising from the dead power on the inside of every person. It's people that don't ever undo the faucet and let it out. God never fails to give power. You've got joy unspeakable and full of glory on the inside of you 100% of the time. The whole time you're depressed and discouraged and sucking your thumb and talking about how bad everything is. Your spirit is basking in the love of God and it's got love, joy, and peace. Galatians 5.22. Your spirit's rejoicing it all the time. Your spirit's jumping up and down right now because it recognizes the truth. Your spirit is rejoicing at the things that I'm saying. 
There is not a problem in your spirit. The problem is up here that we haven't renewed our mind and we're asking God, oh, please give me joy. He's already given you joy, unspeakable and full of glory. Oh God, love me. He's already committed his love towards you. What else could he do that he hadn't done? Sent his son for you, left the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is right here in this room and in our hearts today. There is nothing that you could ask for that God hasn't already done. Oh God, heal me by 1 Peter 2, 24, by his stripes, you're healed. Oh God, bless me. You've already been blessed with all spiritual blessings. Oh God, give me direction. It says right here in Ephesians chapter one, I think it's around verse four or five. It says he's already abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence. Everything you need. It's like Pregu spaghetti sauce. It's in there. (laughs) Whatever it is that you need, it's in there. If you need anything, it's in there. You don't need God to do anything. He's anticipated every problem that you could ever have and it's already in you. You need to draw out what God's got and it starts by acknowledging that I've already got it. So instead of starting your prayer with, oh God, I have nothing and I am nothing and I can do nothing, would you please touch me? You've already gone contrary to the word. You ought to start by saying, Father... I got physical problems and things in my body, but your word says it in my spirit. I've already got these things. So I'm just going to agree with you. And I'm going to start acknowledging this and praising you and show me how to get what I have out. You know, an old blind squirrel will come up with a nut every once in a while if it doesn't quit. And if you just got convinced that you had the power of God on the inside of you, eventually you'd figure it out. When we got a revelation of this, Jamie and I, it, this is back before we ever heard of Copenhagen, Copeland and Hagen. We didn't, we didn't even know that those people existed. And you know what? We learned these truths and I didn't know that there had been another person healed in 2000 years. I thought that all that quit with the Bible days. It certainly didn't happen in the Baptist church I was raised in. But we saw this and did you know if this was true that we had the same power that raised Christ from the dead and if we had all of this stuff, it just made sense to me that I ought to be able to see some of it work. And Jamie and I just started praying for everything that moved. Praying for people and you know what? We saw blind eyes open, deaf ears open. We started seeing miracles and I honestly thought it was the first time that a miracle had taken place in 2,000 years. I didn't know anybody else had ever been healed. I thought it was just a brand new thing. I didn't know. Nobody had to, nobody mentored me. Nobody taught me. And yet we saw miracles happen before I knew that that was standard. Just because we, we were just trying it. And you know what? Every once in a while we saw some things work. Now I've learned a lot and I see a lot more miracles happen now. And uh, it's a lot more consistent. But you know what? Back when I didn't understand very much, I just knew that I had this power on the inside. I mean, it changed the way I live. You wouldn't crumble like a $2 suitcase every time the doctor says something bad about you if you really knew that you had the same power on the inside that raised Christ from the dead. You might say, well, I've got a problem here and I need to get it resolved, but it'd be no big deal because the power on the inside of you is more than sufficient. But most people approach cancer and, oh, cancer is so big. 
I've had people come before nearly crying and say, oh, this is really serious. This is really serious. You're going to have to pray and fast and agree. You, you just need to do, you need to prepare yourself for this as if Jesus wasn't enough. You got to add to it all of this other stuff. And there's people that honestly are more impressed with the power of the problem than they are the power that's on the inside of you. And yet the Bible says, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. You need to get a superiority complex to where I, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. A friend of mine went over to Kenneth Copeland's mother's Bible study. Vanetta Copeland held a Bible study close to where I live. And she jumped on the devil and went to talking about he's nothing and how our power was sufficient. And she was so mean towards the devil that my friend came out saying, I actually feel sorry for the devil. I've never heard, I've never heard anybody talk about another person that way. That's the way you need to be with the devil. You just need to let him have it and let him know that he's nothing. Amen. There was a time I was casting demons out. I won't go through this whole story, but I was casting some demons out. And I mean, all of the hair on the back of my neck was standing up. The demonic power was so strong that I just was thinking, God, if I could see what was going on, I was picturing these huge demons with terrible fangs just ready to devour me. And I was just walking right through the midst of them. And it was only my praying in tongues and using the name of Jesus that was keeping them at bay. And I was picturing this in my mind. And the Lord said, you got this all wrong. He says, if you could see into the spiritual realm, what you'd see is these little tiny things about the size of an ant that are all mouth. (laughs) They're just mouth. All they are is loud mouth. They have no power and they are scared to death of you because they realize you're the one with power and authority. And did you know when I changed that image and begin to realize greater is he that's in me, boom, those demons were gone. The situation was over and, and that's the way it works. So anyway, Paul was just praying, Lord, open up their eyes to what they already have. He's not praying, God, give them something. 99.9% of the body of Christ is begging God to get what they've already got. That's the reason I have a picture of a dog chasing his tail on the front of my cover that says, you've already got it, so quit trying to get it. It's just like a dog chasing his tail. You already got it, amen. You don't need to catch your tail. You don't need to get more faith. You don't need to be healed. You don't need to be anointed. You don't need to have God speak to you. You've already got everything. What you've got to do is draw out what God has already done. Boy, that is powerful. So this is the way that he prayed in verse 15. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all of the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. If you go back up into the earlier verses here, you actually, in verse um, 8, it says, wherein He hath abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence. Technically, in your spirit, you've already got all wisdom and prudence. Your spirit knows all things. So when he's praying that God would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation, he, he's already done it. It's just a matter of literally that he would release it, that it would begin to function in your life. But you've actually got even wisdom and revelation already. You just got to draw it out. 
So he's praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Notice he's not praying that God would call you. Oh God, give them hope. He's praying that you get a revelation of the hope of his calling. You actually have God's calling. You have the same calling on you that was on Jesus. You are a partaker of his calling. And he's praying, just show them what they've already got. Show them the hope. Show them the potential of what they've got of this calling. And what is the riches of the, of, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Notice this is saying, show them the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints. Most people, they sing songs like, when we all get to heaven, what a day that will be. And that is going to be a great day, but you know why? Not because when heaven, all of a sudden, you're going to really just turn into this brand new creation. No, you already in your spirit are identical to the way that you will be a billion years from now in eternity. Your spirit's not going to change one ounce. It's not going to get a new dose of the Holy Ghost. It's not going to have to be washed off, cleaned off, dusted off, improved. Your spirit is right now. One third of your salvation is over. Your spirit's complete. It's identical to Jesus. What's going to happen in eternity is you're going to get a glorified mind that knows all things. And then your body is going to be no longer mortal, but it'll be immortal. And it'll be able to, so your soul and your body will be able to conduct this power, release this power that is in your spirit. But your spirit is as perfect right now as it's ever going to be. It's identical to Jesus. It doesn't get any better than that. If you could understand that. Man, would that transform the way we are expecting for things? But most of us, oh, I'm just an old human. You know, we sing this song about one day at a time, sweet Jesus. That's all I'm asking of you. Lord, I'm only human. I'm just a man. One day at a time, sweet Jesus. Boy, it makes me mad. (laughs) I am not only human. I am not just a man. And that's the problem is that people think they're only human. You are born again. You have God living on the inside of you. Your spirit is perfect. And all you got to do is get your mind renewed. When you get a glorified mind, your spirit is going to dominate you completely and you'll be able to zip from place to place and do things that we can't do now. And I don't know that you'll ever get your mind 100% renewed in this life, but to the degree that you renew your mind, you can experience heaven right here on this earth. Jesus even said to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The only thing that's keeping your life from being awesome, for you from you being healed, prospered, delivered, blessed, uh, anointed, have the wisdom that you need, whatever it is, the only thing that's keeping that from happening is an unrenewed mind. In your spirit, you've got everything that it takes for you to be 100% successful and it's a lack of understanding that is causing us not to get this. And this is what he's praying, that you would see the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. His glory isn't just in heaven, it's in you. The scripture says in 2 Thessalonians, I forget the exact verse, but it says we have been called to the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's not something that's off in the future. It talks about that we now have this. 
You know, some of you will struggle with this, but because of your new birth, you are now a new creature. What's true of Jesus is true of you. As Jesus is, so are you in this world. That's talking about in the spirit. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration and he radiated light, this was different than what Moses did. Moses reflected the glory of God and it shone on his face. Did you know it didn't show on Jesus' face because it came out of him and his body was like a curtain that he used to shield people from this glory. They couldn't stand it. So his body concealed the true glory that was on the inside of him. And when he got in the presence of his father and was praying, he just like pulled the curtain back so that he could fellowship with his father without the the filter, the hindrance of his body and his disciples saw him radiating light. Did you know you're like that in your spirit? Because it is the glory of God that you've got in your spirit. You are as pure and holy as Jesus is. You've got this glory. It didn't say this glory in heaven. Help them to see the exceeding greatness of your glory in heaven. If God somehow or another had to replace the glory that is on the inside of you, it would bankrupt heaven to do it. The glory that is at the throne of God is also on the inside of you. You've got that glory. Lord, help them to see the exceeding greatness of your glory, of your inheritance in the saints. Man, if we could ever see that, if you could ever see that, you wouldn't approach God as this unworthy thing. Again, in my flesh, I'm unworthy, but I'm not in my flesh. To worship God, I have to worship him in spirit and in truth, John 4, 24. And so if I approach him in spirit, then I ought to just pull back the curtain and walk right in and recognize that I've got the glory of God on the inside of me. God is just as holy and just to fellowship with me as he is with Jesus because it's the spirit of his son, Jesus, that entered into my heart. I'm as worthy as Jesus is through what Jesus did through me for me. I know some of you can't handle that, but it's absolutely true. And then in verse 19, he's still praying that you would see what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe. He wants you to see the exceeding greatness. Did you know if you look this up in the Greek, it's just the, the word exceeding is a hyperbole. It's just over the top. It's like This is so much that you can't even comprehend it. And then he says the exceeding greatness. It's just like hyperbole on top of hyperbole. There aren't enough words to describe what's happening. He wants you to see the the infinite greatness of his power towards you. And then he qualifies it according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ. The word according to means to the proportion or to the degree of. So he's wanting you to see this infinite power you have, the same power that was used to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. That's not something that is available to you that if you'll hold your mouth just right and pray and get a hundred people to agree with you, you might be able to experience it. No, if you're born again, spirit filled, you already have this exceeding greatness of power on the inside of you. The same power that it took to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. 
That's more than enough for your hangnail, for your headache, for your cancer. Nothing compares with all of that. You know, the church that I go to, it's a big church and they have a big Easter presentation. And during this thing, they have the mob yelling out at Jesus and doing things, you know, a lot of the scriptural deals. And they have a person that's dressed in black that is supposed to be the devil. They personify the devil and he's always there right whispering into the uh, Pharisee's ear and stirring up all these things. And it's really dramatic the way they show that the devil was behind all of this. And then when it comes to the resurrection, this person who played the devil in all of these things is right there pushing against the tomb. And he's got all of his force uh, against that uh, stone trying to keep Jesus from being resurrected, which is scriptural because, uh, you know, when God created the heavens and the earth, there was no opposition. So it was a great display of power, but actually the resurrection of Jesus is a greater display of power because there was an opponent, the devil and all of the demons. I guarantee you every bit of their force was marshaled to try and keep Jesus from coming out of that tomb. Because Paul said that if Jesus be not risen, your faith is in vain. Satan had every, he didn't have any demons assigned anywhere else. Every bit of demonic power in the universe was focused on stopping Jesus from coming out of that tomb. So they have this person personifying Satan, pushing on this thing. And then there's this huge explosion and all of this smoke and you can't see a thing. And when it finally clears, here's the devil laying on his back. This big old tombstone is on top of him. He's just squashed under it. And Jesus is standing on top of it like that. Amen. I like that. And that's really the way it was. The greatest display of God's power, greater than the creation of the world is raising Jesus from the dead because all of the opposition in the universe was opposed to it and it couldn't stop it from happening. Satan was beat hands down. His kingdom was destroyed. And you have that raising from the dead power on the inside of you And yet when the doctor tells you you're going to die, you come home and cry and oh, we got to get a thousand people to pray and agree because this is really bad. You just don't know who you are. You don't know what you have. In Psalms chapter two, it talks about all of the kings of the earth rising up and taking counsel together. It's talking about pool, all of the resources of the world. Take every ungodly leader in the world and put them together and it says the Lord will laugh. He's going to have them in derision. Put the whole human race against God and God will beat them hands down. That's the power that you have on the inside of you. And you're worried about that person at work who just rolls their eyes when you talk about the Lord (laughs) and you can't handle it. And I've had people come to me before and would you please pray with me because I'm persecuted. (laughs) Man, we... You know, when you go to understanding how much God loves you and who you are in Christ, and when you get a revelation, when you begin to think this way, it just changes you. You're different. You know, I've got, I've got hundreds. There may be thousands of blogs written about me that I am of the devil accusing me of things that you shouldn't accuse a dog of. I've got bad things said about me. And some people, you know, how can you handle this? Because I'm focused on how much God loves me. Who cares what a blog has to say? 
you're just devastated because somebody's rejected you, it's because you got a vacuum on the inside. If you knew how much God loved you, if you were full of God's love, it'd be like, you don't want people to dislike you, but it's just like, who are you? (laughs) I had a guy come to me one time, just rail up and down, criticize Jamie on everything. And he was just reading me the riot act and saying, you need to get your wife in line. There was nothing wrong. He was just religious. And anyway, I just stopped him right in the middle of the thing. And I said, who died and made you God? And he looked at me and says, what do you mean? I said, why do I care a rip about what you think? And he's, well, you should care about what I think. And I said, why? You're nobody. I don't care about you. Some people think I'd never say that to somebody compared to God and what God has to say about me. Am I going to let you criticize me and stay up at night? sucking my thumb and hurting because this person didn't like my message. <laughs> you know, I know I'm, I'm, uh, some people think I'm too hard and stuff, but you know what? When you understand how much God loves you, it just reaches a place that who, who gives a rip what anybody else thinks. If you are so hurt because somebody's criticized you, it's because you don't know how much God loves you. You know, if the president of the United States called you up and just, oh man, you are awesome. And I want to honor you. Would you come to the white house? We're, we're going to put you on national television and all of this stuff. And then somebody, your coworker walks in and starts criticizing the way you filed something. You know what you'd say? Eh, you're nobody. The president just talked to me. Amen. Well, man, after you've been fellowshipping with God, it's not that you don't like people. I don't want people to dislike me. But if you don't dislike, if you don't like me, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it because God loves me. And if you're one, if you are so codependent that you have to have other people's approval, then you don't know who you are in Christ. The only people that will ever let you down are the ones that you lean on. And if you would lean on Jesus, leaning on the everlasting arms, you would find out that you could go through life and you want people to like you, but if they don't, what's their problem? It's not your problem. I know some of you think I'm weird, but that's because you don't see who you are in Christ. You aren't focused on what God says about you and you have to have everybody's approval and you're so insecure. You know, when I was in the sixth grade, My teacher did an experiment where he took a one gallon gas can and put it on a Brunson burner and heated the thing until it started glowing red hot. And then he put the lid on the thing as tight as he could and set it on the side, set it on his desk. And I was sitting on the front row and that thing was right in front of me. And then he went just about teaching his normal class. And over a period of an hour or two, that can cooled off. And the point that he was trying to teach is that when air is heated, it expands. When it cools, it contracts. So he put that lid on and as the air inside cooled, it contract and it made a um, vacuum, partial vacuum. And nobody touched that can, but it was just a few feet away from me and I watched it and that thing began to crack and pop and it literally bent in two and fell over on the ground, crushed by nothing but just normal atmospheric pressure because there was a vacuum on the inside. And that made an impression on me. And you know, the Lord showed me that that's the way people are. 
The reason they crack and just crumble under pressure is because of the vacuum that they have on the inside. They don't know who they are in Christ. They aren't experiencing God's love. But when you are full of God's love, it really just doesn't matter. You know, after I got out of Vietnam, I read this book. I got to quit. I could talk forever on this stuff. But I was in Chicago. A guy gave me a book and it was about Vietnam. And there were 12 people's stories in there. His story was in there and he autographed it and he gave it to me and said, you need to read this book. So I thought out of politeness, I would read his story and I read it. And it was super powerful about how he was lost when he was in Vietnam, but he got, he had terrible things happen. He got born again. And it was a great testimony about how the Lord could redeem a life. And I was so blessed that I wound up reading another one and another one. I wound up reading that whole book, stayed up all night long. And um, anyway, the thing that got me, there were three people that were in Vietnam at the exact same time that I was there. And two of the people were in the Americal division that was stationed in Chulai, where I was at the same time I was there. And they were writing about things that I remembered. And when I read this one story, I can't prove that it was the same place I was, but this guy described a situation that I think I was there when he was writing about. I was a chaplain's assistant and I flew out with the chaplain and this was a Protestant chaplain, but it was the equivalent of last rites. There was a, there was an LZ uh, landing zone that they had out there where they had these uh, things up on a mountaintop and they were using artillery to support the troops in the field. And it was about 50 miles from the nearest U.S. emplacement. It was way out in Vietnamese territory. And we flew out there because the thing was going to be overrun. And we held a chapel service. We were there for two or three hours. The, the place wasn't as big as this room. It, it might have been as big, but it was certainly not bigger than this room. And there was about 120 people in these little um, uh, bunker type things that they had installed hastily. And while I was there with the chaplain, we took 175 mortars inside of this perimeter. We were under heavy attack and you could see the muzzle fire from the Vietnamese weapons as they came up the hill. And I had my M16 pointed down the hill. I didn't have to shoot because they were too far out of range, but I was prepared and we were under attack. And right after the chaplain and I got taken out because they, they wouldn't leave the chaplain in a situation. They came and picked us up. We got fired on as we left. That hill was overrun and only a one or two people survived that. Everybody was killed and I just missed it by a short period of time. And anyway, I remember when I was reading this, I think that that's the same situation that this guy was describing. It was something just exactly like that. And when I read that book, I read it through the eyes of a person who was an unbeliever. And he talked about the fear and the terror. He talked about the smells. Everything he talked, I remembered all of that stuff. You know, every once in a while, I'll smell something and just instantly I remember that, man, that's Vietnam. I I remember those things. And anyway, I, all of these things came back to me and I saw what that would have been like through his eyes, through the eyes of an unbeliever. And he talked about the total fear. And did you know that I had fear come on me and it took me a couple of days to pray and get my heart back right with God where I could get rid of that fear. I was 20 years after being there that fear came on me. But you know, I remembered what I was thinking when that happened. 
I was just in love with God. This was not long after God had started showing me these things. I was so excited about God. I had been praying and asking God to kill me because I thought that's the only way you could experience the same love that I'd had. And I was just so in love with God. It was like I was in a bubble and I had my M16 pointed down the hill waiting. And I was thinking, Jesus, today could be the day. Man, this is awesome. I could wake up in there and I was sitting there just praising God. It was all I could do to contain myself. I was so happy. I thought, thank you, Jesus. If I die, I know where I'm going. And then I got the interceding for the Vietnamese and thinking, God, but do they know where they're going? And I was praying, oh God, I pray that you'd reveal yours. And I was praying for these guys. They were charging the hill and shooting mortars at us. And I never even mentioned it to Jamie. I never mentioned it to anybody because it's just another day in Vietnam. 20 years later, I saw it through the eyes of an unbeliever that had a vacuum on the inside. And I saw what it would have been like. And I, I just hit my knees and began to say, thank you, Jesus, for what he did. And I, I'm using that to express that you can be so full of God and so focused on God that, man, who cares what happens? What if somebody rejects you? What if something doesn't work? I mean, we sing these songs when we all get to heaven. What a day that'll be. And then the doctor tells you you're going and you cry. (laughs) What's wrong with this picture? (laughs) You know, if we were really just enjoying things, it'd be like the apostle Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if the doctor told you you were going to die, it'd be all you could do to just keep from hugging him. Man, wouldn't this be awesome if we could be with Jesus today? But instead, you panic, oh, I might die. And that fear is one of the things that negates your faith and keeps you from releasing the power of God is because you're clinging to this life because you aren't understanding how awesome it is and you don't know what you've got. I'm not saying that you ought to give in to sickness. I get I walk in health because I it's better than being sick and it's a good testimony. <laughs> But you know what? I am not holding on to life because I'm afraid to go. My mother just died not long ago. And, you know, she told me, she says, don't you dare raise me from the dead. She says, I'm ready to go. She made me promise I would not raise her from the dead. Matter of fact, every time I'd call her to see how she's doing, she said, Andy, are you praying that I'll die? And I said, yes, mother, I'm praying that you'd die. And she says, you better be praying. I want to get out of here. She, every time I saw her, are you praying that I'll die before I leave? Now you pray that I'll die. And I say, yes, mother, I'm praying that you'll die. You know what? That's a good attitude. She said, I've outgrown, I've outlived all of my friends. She was 96. She says, I don't have a single friend that's still alive. She says, I'm ready to go. I got more in heaven than I've got on earth. And you know what? That's a good attitude. And you can get so full of God that who cares? You know, I've got great plans. We're believing for this building to be built. I believe that God is going to literally touch the world through this ministry. My future's so bright, I got to squint to look at it. (laughs) I'm excited about it. But you know what? I'm not bothered about it. Somebody said, well, you're going to be 62 this month. What if it takes 10 years? What if it takes 20 years? Who cares? Amen. If I die in process, I just really don't care. 
I'm doing what God told me to do to the best of my ability. And I'm just not worried about, I'm focused on who I am in Christ. I'm enjoying what I've got and I'm going to do as much as I can do while I'm here. And you know what? It's just not that big of a deal. One of you rise up and do it. Amen. You can get to a place to where you just aren't pressure. If the pressure on the inside of you is greater than the pressure on the inside, you won't fall apart. If you're falling apart, it's because you've got a vacuum on the inside. People talk about how bad it is today. We are blessed. You've got, you got advantages. You've got so many things going for you. Technology, you can get television, radio, DVDs, CDs. You can plug things into your ears, listen to the word 24 hours a day. And we're griping and complaining about how bad we've got it. We are blessed, blessed, blessed. We talk about kids are stressed out. Oh, it's just bad on them today. My kid doesn't have the shoes that light up when they walk. And because of that, they, they might become a triple murderer and rapist because they, they've, they've been neglected. They don't have this. Boy, if I ask God, I just drop kick you right off into, right off into outer space. Praise God. Aren't you glad I'm not God? The only thing that makes life tough is that we got a vacuum. People don't have a sense of values and they don't fellowship with God. And that's what makes your life tough. If you're full of God, I can tell you, it'll be just like what I experienced in Vietnam. You can get to a place where it's like water off a duck's back. Who cares? So what if somebody doesn't like you? But I might make a mistake. God's not going to fall off his throne if you make a mistake. God's big enough to handle it. We were talking before we came in here about some things and you know, about, you know, am I going to do everything right? But I hadn't done everything right up to this point. And look, I'm just blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. God's blessed me in spite of who I am, not because of who I am. And that gives me an assurance that even though I might make mistakes, you know what? I'm still going to do what God calls me to do. I have a security and a trust in the Lord. And you can... Brothers and sisters, you can live in a different place than what most people are living. Many of you come up to me and I love you. I'm not trying to criticize, but I can tell by the way you approach things as powerless and weak and pathetic. And you don't know who you are. You don't think you have any power. You think God won't answer your prayers. So you come to me because maybe God will answer my prayers. You don't know who you are. God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. God loves you as much as he loves me. There is not anything standing between you and God except your stinking thinking. That's all that's stopping you. And if that be true, which it is, then the rest of the Christian life is Romans 12 to don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is a good, acceptable and the perfect will of God. All you got to do is renew your mind. You need to take this word and get into it just as much and quick as you can. And to the degree that you renew your mind, then this life that's in your spirit will flow through your mind and into your body and out through you. And we could change this world. You could change your life. You could change your neighborhood. You could change your family. But you got to get this mind renewed. 
It's not your spirit. People say, I'm trying to get the word into my spirit. Your spirit's perfect. Your spirit doesn't need the word. It's your mind that needs to be transformed. It's your soul that gets changed, not your spirit. Your spirit knows all things. Amen. Amen. What a great truth. So you know what? You've got a prayer that you can pray here. I didn't even finish that chapter, but you can start praying this prayer. This is a scriptural prayer. Just put your name in there. Say, Father, I'm asking you to give me, Andrew Womack, put your name in there. The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Open up the eyes of my understanding. Help me to see the hope of your calling. The riches of the glory of your inheritance that's in the saints. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. God, help me to see that I have this power. It's a prayer that you know is scriptural. All you got to do is put your name in it and pray it. Man, I've prayed this prayer thousands of times. And that's why I've got some of the revelation that I've got is because I've prayed this prayer and asked for it. God wants you to know this more than you want to know it. But you've got to ask for it. You've got to pursue it. If you don't pursue it, you won't get it. You aren't going to hear this watching as the stomach turns on the television. You aren't going to get this if you're watching adultery and murder and lying and stealing and X-rated stuff. You aren't going to get this. All that's going to do is strengthen your senses and give your carnal self more control. But if you keep your mind stayed on the word, then he'll keep you in perfect peace. He will renew you and you can learn these things and you can get to where who you are in Christ is more real than what you feel in your body, than what you feel in your emotions. You can walk in the spirit instead of in the flesh. This is doable. Man, isn't that good news? That is awesome news. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just thank you for this and we ask through the Holy Spirit. I'm praying this prayer in Ephesians 1. Give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I pray the prayer in Ephesians 3 that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith, that we could perceive the height, the depth, the length, and the breadth of the love of Christ, and to experience your love, which passes knowledge, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Father, I just pray that the Holy Spirit takes these words, and through this, the truth sets us free. And Father, I know what I've said is hard to some people who've been discouraged and depressed and sick and poor and they feel like that they fail. Father, I pray that you would encourage them instead of discourage them, that you would show them that there's something better than what they've been going through, that they don't have to stay that way. Thank you, Jesus. And Father, we welcome the Holy Spirit, John 14, 26, to bring back to our remembrance whatsoever Jesus has said to us during this conference that these things would come back to us, that they'd ring in our heart and that we would not forget this. Thank you, Jesus. We welcome that. We, we receive it. We give you freedom to reveal these things to us. And we thank you for doing it in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, once again, I want to ask if there's anybody here who doesn't know Jesus or if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I always want to give an invitation for this because you know what? Not everybody needs healing. Not everybody needs finances. But every born again person, you need Jesus in your heart. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is for every person 
no exceptions. And the things that I've talked about, this isn't easy to understand because I'm telling you about things that you can't see, you can't feel. The only way you can operate in this is to get into God's Word and have the Holy Spirit enlighten you. And so you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's absolutely essential. Is there anybody here that does not have this? It includes a lot of things, but it includes speaking in tongues. If you don't speak in tongues, you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is there anybody here tonight that say, man, I need that and I want to receive it. Will you pray for me? Here's somebody over here. Anybody else? We've had what? 230. Here's somebody else. Here's others over here. Anybody else? We've had a 230 or 40 people, but man, I don't want to miss anybody. You've got to have the Holy Spirit. You must have the Holy Spirit if you are going to go deeper in the things of God. The Holy Spirit is our guide to lead us into these things. You can't get there on your own. This is not human. This is supernatural to have a revelation of the things that I've talked about. You need this. You know, if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, would you just come up here and we want to pray with you and help you to receive here tonight. Amen. Come forward and let us pray with you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Isn't this awesome? Man, God wants to fill you with His power. What a deal. Anybody else? You know, this is our last service. I know that there's people that have sat here this entire week and have said, well... I don't have that, but I'm not sure. I'm thinking about it or whatever. Maybe you've come forward before and you've been prayed for and nothing happened and you said, I don't want to be disappointed. And so you're just thinking, I, if I went forward, nothing would happen. You know, I can tell you this. If you don't come forward, nothing's going to happen. <laughs> Amen. But if you come forward, there's a chance that you could receive. And we'll help you and we'll do everything we can to help you receive this. It's not that hard. If you are here, even if you have prayed before and yet you've never been able to speak in tongues, you ought to come forward and let us help you pray and receive this. It'll change your life. Praise the Lord. You know, it's amazing. I don't think we've had a smaller crowd than this at any service, not even in the mornings. It just, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people that watch me that because I don't scream and shout and yell and act like a typical Pentecostal, they just don't realize what they're getting into. And they come to these meetings and they hadn't heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I draw a lot of people that have never heard about it. But I'm telling you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential to what God's done in my life. And you need it. Anybody else? All right. Before you can receive the Holy Spirit, you got to be born again. Jesus said he was the one who gave the Holy Spirit. You got to receive the giver before you receive the gift. Is there anybody here who's not absolutely certain about whether or not you've made Jesus your personal Savior? Anybody? If that's you, I need you to raise your hand and I'm going to pray with you first and we need to make sure that you're born again. Anybody? Here's one right here. Anybody else? Did you raise your hand? You were just moving. It's like an auction. <laughs> if you move, I'm going to get you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Are you sure? You need to be sure. I'm not trying to talk you out of it, but there's so many people 
that are just assuming I'm a good person. I believe that God exists. Isn't that enough? The Bible says the devils believe and tremble at the name of God, but they aren't saved. You got to do more than what the devil's done. You've got to commit your life. You got to yield. The Bible says that you have to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. You've got to make him your Lord. That doesn't mean you'll be perfect. You can't be perfect, but you've got to be willing to turn your life over and trust him 100% for your salvation. Is there anybody else who's not sure whether or not you've done that and you want to pray with this? Anybody else? Praise God. Brother, I'm going to pray with you. And I believe Jesus has already paid for your sins. And now all you got to do is confess it with your mouth, believe it in your heart. And the Bible says you'll be saved. You willing to do that? What a deal. Isn't that awesome? And to think that God loved you enough that he bore all of your sins, everything you've ever done, he's already paid for it. And all he wants is just you to yield and receive it. I'm going to lead you and say the words that you need to say. And I'd like to ask everybody here to pray with me so that he won't just feel like we're listening to him. And if you will mean this as you pray it, then I believe that you're going to be totally born again and you'll become this new person that I was talking about tonight in the spirit. Isn't that good? Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Let's everybody pray this. Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sins. I believe Jesus has already forgiven my sins. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive. That you live in me. I am saved. I am forgiven. Right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. You believe that? Awesome. Welcome to the family of God, brother. Awesome, awesome. Isn't that great? All right, now this brother, along with everybody else, has already made Jesus your Lord. And according to the Bible, there's a couple of times that it says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He created you to be a dwelling place for his Holy Spirit. That's his will. That's what he made you for. So you don't have to wonder, will he give you the Holy Spirit? It's what you were created for. It says in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, if you being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? It's a promise. All you got to do is ask. So we aren't going to beg. We aren't going to plead. We're just going to ask and receive. And some people teach that you got to have all sin out of your life. You can't have any sin. You can't smoke. You can't use profanity. You can't ever do anything wrong or God won't fill a dirty vessel. I want you to know God hadn't got any other kind of vessel to fill. (laughs) If you could get holy without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. If you got problems in your life, God's not going to withdraw and not give you the Holy Spirit. He gives you the Holy Spirit to give you the power to overcome things. So don't feel like that you're disqualified. Don't disqualify yourself because God's not going to disqualify you. You just ask and believe. And then I'd like to ask our prayer ministers to come up here and stand behind you because the Bible says that the disciples laid hands on people and the Holy Spirit came upon them. So these are people who already have the Holy Spirit living in them. They speak in tongues and they're going to lay hands on you and release 
the power of the Holy Spirit into you. So you're going to ask and then they will lay hands on you and release this power to flow into you. And then I want you, after they've done that, to quit asking. There's a time to ask, but then there's a time to believe that God will do what he said he'd do. And we need to just start thanking God and praising him that it worked. So regardless of how you feel, when I received the Holy Spirit, I didn't feel anything, but I asked and believed and I got the Holy Spirit and it's working in my life. So we're going to ask, they're going to lay hands on you. And then I want you to start thanking God out loud with your mouth that his word's true and that he gave you the Holy Spirit. At that time, I want you to lift your hands like this. Because when you lift your hands, the Bible says this blesses God. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. This blesses him. He likes it. It's like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I surrender. I yield. It's your way of yielding. And so we're going to ask, they're going to lay hands on you. You're going to lift your hands, start thanking God. And then those of us that know how to pray in tongues are going to pray in tongues because the Bible says when you're praying in tongues, you're giving thanks. Well, you're praising God in the heavenly language. So we're going to start praising God. And as we speak in tongues, I want you to start praying in tongues with us. And just switch over from thanking Him in English to thanking Him in tongues. And I know you still probably have a million questions. Some of you are probably thinking, well, I don't know how to pray in tongues. What do I do? I've got a book that will explain everything I know about it. And I've had thousands and thousands of people speak in tongues after reading this book. But if you're ready, you can do it right now. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is like a pair of tennis shoes. When you get them, they all come with tongues. Amen. When you get the Holy Spirit, you are going to get this gift of tongues. Every one of you is going to have this ability to speak in tongues. But the number one thing that hinders people, they think, well, I'm just waiting on God to take my mouth and make it move. It's not like that. You have to speak. The Bible says they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. You do the talking, the Holy Spirit inspires it. It's like when I preach tonight, I believe God spoke through me, but He didn't force me to say it. He didn't take my mouth and make it work. I spoke. That's the reason it came out with my personality, my sense of humor. But the Holy Spirit inspired it. That's the way speaking in tongues is. You do the talking, the Holy Spirit inspires it. And this book will explain much more. But if you're ready, you can pray in tongues right now. Isn't that awesome? And I know you. some of you are thinking, I don't even know why I should pray in tongues. It's powerful and this book will explain it. But just take my word for it. This, you are bypassing the doubt and the unbelief that's in your brain. And you're talking to God from your spirit. The part of you that I was telling you is exactly like Jesus has the glory of God. It's powerful. It bypasses all the confusion and the doubt that's in your mind. The Bible says you build up yourself on your most holy faith when you pray in the Holy Spirit. This is your most holy faith. It's very powerful. And I'll give you this book. It'll help you. But that's what we're going to do. You ready? The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. Mark 16, 17. I want you to say, I'm a believer. And I will speak in tongues. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we thank you that all of these are born again, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we open up the doors of our temple right now. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come live on the inside of us and just control us. 
begin to take dominance over us, inspire us, give us this revelation knowledge. We want the power and the anointing, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, this gift of speaking in tongues. Father, we welcome it and we open up our heart to receive it right now. We lay hands on you and say, receive the Holy Spirit right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we loose this power and this anointing to flow through every one of these right now. Praise God. Boy, that's the anointing power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we just thank you that right now they are being filled. Thank you, Jesus. Let's put your hands in the air and start thanking God that right this moment, his power is filling you. Father, we just release our thanks to you and believe that you are now filling every one of us with your power. From this moment forth, we are God-possessed. We have your power and anointing. Thank you, Jesus. Talk out loud. Thank him for it. Thank you, Jesus. Now, those of you who know how to pray in tongues, let's pray in tongues. And as we speak in tongues, you speak in tongues with us. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you saying. But your tongue will be unique to you. It's not going to be the same as somebody else's. But once you start trying to make sounds and it comes out different, just keep talking. Just keep talking. And you'll find out, this may, you may not understand, but it is a powerful thing and it'll push you into a new realm of faith. Thank you, Jesus. Just speak out. Right now, you're bypassing your fears and the doubt that's in your mind. You're taking a step of faith. It's powerful. It releases the power of God. Thank you, Jesus. Could you ask that lady to come down? Thank you, Father. Father, we agree and we receive it. And thank you right now in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Boy, a lot of people down here are praying in tongues. A lot of people are speaking to your heavenly Father in a language that you've never known before. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Let me interrupt you here for just a minute. If I could get your attention, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I, I want you to get the full impact. Some of you right now, you may just feel the presence of God. You may have felt a release. Many times people do. But you know, sometimes people, they don't feel any different. But it, it's like I was teaching tonight. It's not your physical body and your emotions that are being changed. It's your spirit, man. And in the spirit, something super powerful has happened. It is really powerful. And you need to understand it to be able to get the full benefit of it. Also, if you didn't speak in tongues, that doesn't mean that you didn't get it. Because when I first prayed for this baptism of the Holy Spirit, I didn't speak in tongues for three and a half years. But that's because I was a Baptist. And I'd been taught against this. And I had so much wrong thinking. It took me a while to renew my mind, but I've written it all in a book and I want to give you this book. Plus there's people that will help you. They'll answer questions. And we just want you to get the full benefit of this. So if you would, I'd like everybody to follow Ashley. He's the man down here with his hand in the air. And if you would follow Ashley, he's going to take you right across the hall. We'll give you a free book 
They'll answer any questions. They'll help you any way they can. And praise God, I believe you are never going to be the same again. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, God bless you, brother. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. Hi. Good. Isn't this great? We've now seen, I'm sure, over 250 people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We've probably had over twice as many people filled with the Holy Spirit this week as were filled with the Holy Spirit in the upper room. Man, that's amazing, isn't it? Think what they did. Man, if we would just get the fullness of what God's been doing in our life, there's no telling what difference this could make in the lives of people. Again, I want to remind you that we have CDs and DVDs of all five services already duplicated out there. They're available. And and this would be a keeper. I think the things that I've shared and the way that I've put them together, this has made a difference in people's lives. And I can promise you when you get home, Satan is going to try and steal this from you. And you're going to be immersed back into a situation where people aren't going to say the same thing. Very few people are saying that what I'm saying. You need this to be able to go back over it. Plus, you're going to try and share this with some other people. And they're going to just look at you. And it's like there's going to be a disconnect. And what a blessing to be able to take these DVDs or CDs and just say, watch this. And you know, you can, you can share this with them in a way I think it could really impact them. So please remember that and take advantage of those things. These are our prayer ministers. And these people are here to minister to you. And like I was saying tonight, every one of us have this glory of God on the inside of us. And the only difference between any person in here isn't what we've got, just how much you, whether or not you know it and are able to start releasing it. And these are all people that have been through a teaching session with Melinda. These are people, all of these testimonies that we gave tonight. These are the people that prayed and saw all of these miracles happen. You know, I had people lined up and I don't mind praying for people, but I just, tonight, I didn't go out there and pray for people because there's people that are missing the point. They're thinking I'm the only one that can pray. And so this is the first time in my life I've come into a service just as it started because I was trying to get people to quit looking at me. I don't have a gift of healing. My gift is teaching. And you need to start looking to the Lord. So anyway, these people can pray for you. I want you to come and expect the word of God to work. That if any two of you agree is touching anything, it shall be done. I do not have to be the one praying for you. These people can pray. They're the ones that have been seeing these miracles. And you need to just trust God and reach out to God, not to a person. Amen. So if anybody needs prayer, I want to ask you to come forward right now and let one of our prayer ministers pray with you. We can help you. We can flow in the gifts of the Spirit. And we can see great miracles happen. If you need prayer, come forward right now. and Let somebody agree with you. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And you know, I've been staying and praying and we've seen some miracles and we've seen some really great things happen as I pray and call these healings out tonight. After these get 
for, coming forward, I'm going to dismiss the crowd and we're going to go because my, my crew has to pack up everything and it usually takes somewhere around two or three o'clock in the morning. It'll get them out about an hour and a half early. And so I'm going to let you go. It's the word of God that I teach is that is really going to transform your life. So I encourage you to receive the word, not as the word of a man, but as it is in truth, the word of God and let the word of God set you free. Amen. Praise God. Thanks for coming. I'll see you on the television set. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Don't forget all of the materials out there. Please take advantage of them. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just agree and thank you that every single person down here is being healed, that your power is present to heal. I believe that people draw on this power and the glory of God that's on the inside of them. And we just agree and release that power right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Believe that people are being healed in Jesus' mighty name.